Welcome to AFT in Action, a podcast for members of AFT Connecticut-affiliated local unions. We're approximately 30,000 working people in the public and private sectors, teachers and school support staff, nurses and healthcare workers, higher education faculty and public employees in nearly 90 unions across the state. The series provides a deeper dive into issues impacting our members and our movement as part of AFT Connecticut's engagement and communications efforts. Welcome, sisters and brothers, to another episode of AFT in Action. My name is Jan Hockdell, your State Fed President and a co-host of this latest episode. Today, we're going to be talking about the 2021 legislative session here in Connecticut and the effect on our union members. And with me today, I am so pleased to have Chris DeFrancesco, a communications specialist at the Yukon Health Center in Farmington and the Vice President for Communications for the Yukon Health Professionals Union, also known as UHP. And along with being a union representative, steward, a member of the negotiations committee, and a local, state, and national convention delegate, Chris was recently awarded AFT Connecticut's Joseph H. Soifer Award for his legislative advocacy and member engagement. Chris, congratulations and welcome to this episode of AFT in Action. Thank you so much, Jen. And um, it, it's really an honor to be recognized with the Soifer Award um, just because uh, it, it just validates. Uh, the effort that that I and so many of the rest of us in the labor movement put into this. So it's very much appreciated. Thank you. And thank you for inviting me to join you today. Absolutely. And thank you again for all you do. Because of people like you, we have lots of wins to celebrate this past legislative session. Um, we have a new contract for some of our A&R members. There are funds for expanding workers' compensation benefits. We have a study on paraeducator staffing improvements to TRB, and pay raises for our managerial and exempt state employees. But in this episode, I'd like to focus on three key wins. The bill that codifies public sector union rights, the bill that expands post-traumatic stress injury for healthcare workers impacted in the pandemic, and the boosted educational cost-sharing funding in the state budget. And we'd also like to discuss with our guest today, uh, pandemic hazard pay, and recovery for all and some progress that uh, we're making or hoping to make on those fronts too. And joining us in these conversations today, we are so fortunate to have the president of our state Senate, Marty Looney. Senator Looney has been serving in that role since 2015, but has represented the 11th Senate District in New Haven, Hamden and North Haven since 1993. And prior to that, he served in the Connecticut House of Representatives starting in 1981. Senator, in addition to being a strong supporter of organized labor, you have quite the history. Welcome. Great to be with you today, Jan, and I look forward to the conversation. Thank you. Thank you for joining us, Senator. So, Senator, before we get to our members' questions, can you just share with us a little bit about what inspired you to choose a career in public service? Well, as a, as a child, I was inspired by the campaign of John F. Kennedy for president, and uh, as a teenager, was inspired by his brother, Robert F. Kennedy, and his advocacy on so many issues. Uh, uh, as, a, as a young man, I got uh, drawn into politics in New Haven as part of a reform uh, democratic campaign uh, in which I wound up working with uh, uh, Frank Logue, who was a candidate for mayor, and his campaign manager, Rosa DeLauro, uh, who recruited me into that campaign. I later worked in the Logue administration uh, and then had an opportunity to run for state representative after that. Senator Looney, you've been at this for a long time, but 2021, I'm sure, was anything but a regular legislative session. I'd be interested to hear what uh, the experience was like from your point of view leading the state Senate. Well, I think it was a highly productive session. I think one of the very best we've had in all the years that I've served, but it was uh, difficult. It was challenging because of the threat of the pandemic. Uh, we had a finite date 
by which we had to end all of our work on uh, June the 9th. And we were afraid at any time that if we had an outbreak uh, and uh, were quarantined and would have to shut down, we would lose time and uh, perhaps the session would go off the rails. And that's why we made sure that uh, everything was done virtually in terms of public hearings and committee meetings. Uh, and then we set up a protocol for actual session days to try to minimize the number of people who would be in the chamber at any one time and then upgraded our voting machine uh, to allow people to vote from their offices rather than in the chamber. So we took as many precautions as we could and, and fortunately it worked out. Uh, we were able to uh, achieve a substantial amount of important legislation and uh, uh, avoided the kind of crises that uh, an outbreak or a shutdown would have caused. So Senator, thank you for all of the work that you did. Um, and if we may, let's review some of the key legislative proposals that passed during the session and that will impact our members in the communities they serve. Let's first talk about Senate Bill 908, the new law that's codifying public employees' collective bargaining rights. In your remarks during the closing debate on the bill, you called it one of the most important pieces of legislation to come before the upper chambers this year. Can you share more on that? Very important bill because it gave us a chance to the extent that we could to mitigate the impact of the Janus decision, uh, which was one of the uh, most uh, stridently anti-labor US Supreme Court decisions in, in recent years. Um, and of course, what it, it does is allow um, people to get the benefit of union membership without being actual members. Uh, and the challenge, of course, was to allow unions to communicate with workers who are uh, who are employed in uh, alongside bargaining unit members and are represented in the same way. But in order to uh, to communicate with those workers, in order to uh, collect dues, and in order to uh, facilitate the relationship that's needed, uh, this legislation was necessary. And I'm glad we were able to get it passed because uh, otherwise it it would really have uh, impacted the capacity of unions to keep in touch with their members and also to keep in touch with the other people who they represent who are not actual members. I think people listening to this, our members need to understand the importance of having allies in the state capital like yourself and people who understand the value and importance of collective bargaining to uh, raise standards, not just for, for union members, but really for everyone in the working class. So it's, it's great to know we've got allies like you. And um, so I appreciate your support on that. I wanted to focus on Senate Bill 660, the new law expanding workers' compensation benefits for health professionals impacted by the COVID-19 crisis and signed by the governor just today. That was a proposal many of my colleagues at UConn Health turned out to support during the public hearings earlier in this session. Can you tell us why, from your perspective as Senate President Pro Tem, this legislation was so important to pass? Uh, well, first of all, it is... Uh a partial restoration and a correction of something that goes back to uh, to 1993. And that is when, uh, unfortunately, in a workers' comp reform, so-called reform bill that was passed that year, um, injuries for psychological harm, damage, and trauma were no longer compensable unless they were accompanied by a physical injury. Uh, this now restores a part, part of that once again, uh, uh, so that uh, in addition to what we did in 2019 with first responders, fire, and police, we've now expanded that bill to cover health workers in certain circumstances, uh, EMT workers, dispatchers, and, and others who uh, witness a traumatic event, uh, the death of a child or some other trauma, and will be able to get uh, benefits, although they are limited under the bill. Uh, the limit is uh, uh, 52 weeks of, uh, uh, of care and therapy. It's not open-ended as, uh, as other uh, physical injury workers' comp benefits may be, but it is a, at least a partial restoration of what should be a fully compensable injury because everything we've learned since 1993 
uh, tells us that psychological injuries are uh, are real. They're just as real as physical injuries. Trauma is just as disabling, just as paralyzing when it is psychological as when it is physical. It still leaves us in the position where a, uh, a worker working in a, a factory who sees the, the worker next to him uh, horribly maimed or killed uh, in an accident uh, would not have a compensable injury despite that trauma if he himself were not injured. So uh, my effort uh, next year is going to be to uh, uh, to try to push for full restoration of uh, compensability for uh, psychological trauma without requiring a physical component for everyone. But at least we made partial progress uh, in 19, in 2019 and 21 in restoring it for, uh, for frontline workers and for health workers. Surely a step in the right direction. And my members for sure appreciate that at UConn Health. And we're so looking forward to um, expanding that next year. So, Senator, if we could, I would like to talk about one of the provisions of the final two-year state budget package, um, the increased resources for local and regional school districts. Can you talk about why you and your Senate colleagues made a boost in the educational cost sharing, better known as ECS um, funding, a pr priority? Well, we had made a commitment several years ago to implementing a new formula in steps over a period of 10 years. The governor in his budget had proposed uh, substituting federal funds uh, for the next phase in of that uh, implementation, we decided that we wanted to keep it on track and we wanted to make sure that uh, that we didn't uh, use uh, temporarily available funds to substitute for state funds in that. It was an important commitment to make. In addition to ECS in terms of um, uh, the other major initiative in terms of municipal aid this year uh, was the uh, change in the way the payment in lieu of taxes formula uh, for taxes and property is going to be handled. Uh, in the future, we will set up a three-tiered structure that for the first time takes need into account based upon the equalized net brand list per capita of municipalities so that those uh, who have a net brand list per capita under $100,000 will get 50% uh, pilot reimbursement both on their college and hospital and their state property, pilot eligible property. Those in the next tier between 100 and 200,000 will get 40%, those uh, over 200,000 will get 30%. So even the, the lowest reimbursed tier will still get more uh, than what uh, was paid in the last uh, uh, biennium, which was about 25%. And what this means is that for the first time, need is taken into account in pilot reimbursement because the way the formulas worked up to now, if a town had pilot eligible property, it would get the same level of reimbursement regardless of need, regardless of where it was. So for instance, uh, Greenwich got the same level of pilot reimbursement for Greenwich Hospital uh, that New Haven got for Yale New Haven Hospital or Hartford got for Hartford Hospital. Uh, that will change now because the, uh, the net grant list per capita in Greenwich, of course, is, uh, is over $700,000, uh, where at the other end, the lowest uh, town in terms of net grant list is written at about 60000 So, So we have need based into, uh, into the formula now. And also, we'll be casting a wider net in terms of interest in the pilot program, since so many more towns will benefit from it. That's fantastic. I know our educational members, thank you so much for that. Senator Looney, one unresolved issue that's of particular importance to our members at UConn Health is pandemic hazard pay for frontline essential workers. Now, the state's labor movement, as you know, has put forward a proposal to use federal COVID-19 recovery resources to recognize those who risk their lives during the peak of this crisis. What do you anticipate will get done on this front? Well, I anticipate that's an issue we will address in the special session that we will have in the fall. Uh, sometime after Labor Day, we will reconvene uh, to address the unallocated portion of the uh, the American Rescue Plan money, which we currently have, which is about $235 million. So 
uh, this will be a, an issue on the agenda for that session. And so to wrap it up, I have a quick final question on future state budgets. The final package left out many of the recovery for all provisions in the blueprint that was passed by the Finance, Revenue and Bonding Committee. Do you anticipate the opportunity and the need to raise them again next year or in 2023? The, the governor, of course, opposed any new revenues we had proposed a progressive revenue change to increase the capital gains tax but only on the wealthiest people only on those who are currently paying the highest level on the income tax uh, there were other progressive uh, uh, proposals in that uh, in that bill um, the the argument on the other side was that we don't need to raise revenue at a time we have all of this federal revenue coming in and the state's revenues are also coming in at higher than projected levels uh, but that ignores the reality beyond the biennium uh, and uh, we are potentially facing a cliff uh, beyond the biennium and I, and I thought it would be more prudent to address that now uh, that's why I think those issues will be on the table again in the 2022 session and certainly 2023 uh, but uh, I think it's important to make our tax structure uh, more progressive I don't believe that a modest increase in the capital gains tax uh, would in any way drive people out of the state uh, as some claim and it would still keep us within uh, the parameters of what is a uh, standard tax policy in our region we would not be an outlier in any way Senator Looney, it has been truly an honor to have you join us and for answering our members' questions and especially advocating for working families during the session. In fact, next month's topic would be another good one for you to discuss with us. That is, you know, the efforts by our state employee union members to secure fair contracts. Any quick final thoughts you can share on that? I think that uh, the, the state employee uh, unions uh, should be seen as uh, uh, contributors to our society, contributors to our economy, uh, uh, should not be seen as, uh, as uh, adversaries. Uh, I know there was, uh, there was a, a grave concern uh, early on this year uh, that uh, the sort of posture taken by the uh, management of the Connecticut State University system um, in, uh, in negotiations started with a very sort of hostile uh, anti-union approach, uh, which they have backed off from. And uh, my colleagues and I in the Senate wrote a letter to them saying, uh, you are an agency of government here. You're not a, uh, uh, a Fortune 500 company located in Texas uh, uh, to uh, be recruiting anti-union uh, firms to represent you in these negotiations. So uh, I would hope that, uh, that in, in, uh, in future negotiations, the representatives of the state uh, recognize that, they're, that they are negotiating on behalf of the people of the state of Connecticut uh, and shouldn't set up in a hostile posture to the unions. I think also, Senator Looney, one thing that a lot of people forget about is the fact that um, a lot of the people who are negotiating against us in the state employee unions are actually going to benefit from what the contract ends up producing because uh, the benefits and working conditions that the unions are able to win in their contracts a lot of times uh, in many ways are mirrored for the management and the folks who are going to also benefit from that. And um, a lot of them wouldn't get to where they would be today if they hadn't benefited from that back when they were not as far along in their careers and benefiting from the collective bargaining agreements when they were in uh, rank and file positions as union members in the state as well. And I think sometimes people forget that. Uh, they do. People have short memories about uh, where their true interests lie uh, and where their long-term interests lie. Amen to that, Senator Looney. I hope some of your friends on the other side of the aisle might start seeing it that way, too. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. And it's great to be with you today. And I want to thank you for your advocacy, and not only in the 2021 session, but uh, everything you've done throughout the years. We can always count on you as a reliable ally and an articulate uh, uh, spokesman for the interests, not only of the members of your own unions, but also 
the broad-based uh, representation that you provide is we all know that labor is the champion for all workers and that universal standards are raised because of the advocacy of organized labor. And uh, uh, we consider your work vital at the Capitol has been all the way through and we look forward to it in the years ahead as well. Thank you. Thank and you. Chris, thank you for co-hosting this episode with me and engaging in our discussion with Senator Ludi and really for all of your advocacy during the legislative session. I know it made such a difference. Well, I appreciate that, Jan. And, uh, you know, I, I think one of the unique qualities of this legislative session was the fact that uh, we were able to testify remotely. And uh, I know we had a reasonably good turnout from UHP members being able to be a part of some of these public hearings because they were able to not have to commit to spending an entire day or entire evening at the state capitol waiting to be called. And um, and I'd like to think that uh, more people who had more things to say and share with our lawmakers uh, had an opportunity to do that. And, and people who previously might not have had a voice were able to discover it this time around. And I, I think that was really helpful. I totally agree with you. And lastly, I want to thank all our members for all they do every day and for listening. And I invite members to submit suggestions and questions to our next episode of AFT in Action, where, as you just heard, we will be focusing on our sisters and brothers who are state employees and going through really tough contract negotiations. And if you would like to support our union siblings on Tuesday, July 13th, members of the unions in the State Employees Bargaining Agent Coalition, or CBAC, We'll be having an informational picket outside the governor's mansion in Hartford. All members are invited to join us at 4.30 on Tuesday, July 13th, to show solidarity in the struggle for fair contracts. But really, I would love to hear your thoughts. Send any comments by email to actnetreply at aftct.org. That's A-C-T-N-E-T-R-E-P-L-Y at sign A-F-T-C-T dot O-R-G or you can leave me a voice message by dialing 860-257-9782 and asking for extension 116. I'm really looking forward to hearing your voices and thank you in advance. That's a wrap for this latest edition of AFT in Action. Additional episodes are available at our Podbean page and social media channels, all of which can be found at aftct.org. Like what you heard? Then share with fellow members and encourage they give it a listen too and help build the power of the UNI in union.